Thank you for pressing start on episode 31 of Underplayed, KZUM's indie video game podcast. Today we have two secret games, followed by a review of our featured game, Amnesia, The Dark Descent. Here on Underplayed, we review indie games of all kinds, the games with small budgets but big hearts, the lesser-known experiences with imaginative ideas. My name is Bo Poe, and joining me is my player two, Disco Cola. What is going on, Disco Cola? Just trying to remind myself for why we're here today, but uh, I think I'll figure it out. How are you today, <laughs> Bo Poe? I'm doing just fine. My friend full of Vitae. Uh, Those are references to our featured game, Amnesia, The Dark Descent. Amnesia, The Dark Descent is noteworthy for a couple reasons that we'll get into later in the episode. But I want to note up top, we played this one together. Yes. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. If you're familiar with Amnesia, The Dark Descent, you might be saying, hey, Bopo, hey, Disco Cola, Amnesia, The Dark Descent isn't a (laughs) co-op game. What are you doing? Sure isn't. How did you make that work? Well little setup for that is Disco Cola and I uh, have a little party every year where we get together with some friends in the same room and around Halloween we play a spoopy game. Yeah. We play a scary game. Not necessarily an indie game even. Yeah. Um, But Amnesia the Dark Descent was the group's pick for this year. We take turns uh, passing the controller. There's a lot of banter and talking and Some people know the games better than others, (laughs) and it's just kind of a fun time. We pick games that are anywhere between like uh, four and 12 hours. It's a a pretty wide range, but we try to make it a game you can complete in one day. Yeah, we've played Dead Space. We've played other indies like uh, uh, Carrion and Indie Likes, like Little Nightmares. Absolutely, A lot of cool stuff. Good call-outs there. And so Amnesia the Dark Descent was one that was on our group's list for a long time, and hey, we picked it this year. So we decided to double up with this game and choose it as a season three game. It coincided super well. So I'm looking forward to getting into not only uh, the game and you know what we each think of the game, but also our experience playing together and then how we played the game on our own time later, if we could do that. With that out of the way, let us move on to our secret games. The secret games, secret games. that you're playing. Secret, yeah. secret, 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 secret Games is a segment where we each pick an indie game. It's a game we haven't reviewed on Underplayed before, and we play it on our own time. The other person doesn't know what we picked. We come here to this recording, and during the recording, we're revealing what we picked. And we can pick a game that has something to do with our featured game, Amnesia, or maybe it's something completely different. Disco Cola usually falls into the former camp. I usually fall into the latter camp. So we're going to start with Disco Cola, as always. Let the mystery be no more. Reveal your secret game for episode 31 of Underplayed. My secret game this episode comes from Warp Digital and Camel 101, and it is called Those Who Remain. And I'm going to send you a trailer right here quick. Those Who Remain. I'm not sure I have heard of this one. I think this is completely new to me. Well, you're going to look at that trailer, and then I'm going to tell you why you should or shouldn't play it. (laughs) 
So the game is a bit of a first-person adventure game with a lot of puzzles with horror twists you're seeing there in that trailer. Uh, so it synergizes quite well with the game, as you have come to expect from me. Uh, the game follows Edward, who, at the start of the game, is headed to a motel to end his extramarital relationship. Um, but when he arrives, no one is there, like, at all. Not in the lobby, not in the other rooms, there's no one there. While you're exploring the motel room and activating all the correct triggers, uh, you receive a mysterious phone call that tells you to stay in the light. After which, your car is stolen and you must make your way on foot to the next town of Dormant. On the way, once you reach darkness, you see it. Shadowy figures with glowing eyes that will immediately kill you if you walk into the darkness. Uh, from there, you reach the end of an explorable zone, usually marked by some sort of door, just like out in the open wilderness somewhere. Uh, and it will transport you to the next zone, often alternating from inside of a home or a building to back in the outdoors. So there's a bit of a supernatural element happening here. After traveling the initial road to Dormont, uh, your goal becomes to learn as much as possible about the death of a local child and those involved and decide whether or not to forgive them or condemn them, all the while staying in the light. You find different clues and knowledge by exploring each zone and solving puzzles, opening drawers and doors, finding items, and dipping your toes into sort of a mirror universe. And this mirror universe will allow you to find objects that are inaccessible or um, allow you to walk past zones of darkness that would otherwise kill you. And that's about it. That's all I could say without like spoiling some story points, I would say. Uh, so I want to talk about some things that I like about the game. Um, the world concept is pretty fun. It's not the most novel idea in the world, but fun and has a lot of potential. Um, pacing of information is actually incredibly well thought out. Uh, you learn about the lore of not only your situation, but the history of the people of Dormant. Uh, and you get all of that information in an appropriate and a compelling pace, uh, which is not what you can say for a lot of games. Um, and for a period of time, uh, I did find myself really immersed in the game and found myself thinking about it when I wasn't playing it, wondering what was about to happen in the next zone or in the next play session. Unfortunately, all of that was really short-lived. Oh, no! Oh, no. Um, it wasn't long before the game actually became like a total drag to play. Oh. There's a lot of really frustrating things about the construction of the game that make it very unfun to play. Oh no. Um, the boundary between what is and is not darkness that will kill you uh, becomes murky and inconsistent. You can always see the eyes glowing in the darkness so you know that that zone, you can't go in there, but Sometimes you can get right up close to the, you know, humanoid shape and be fine. Other times you barely, you know, walk into an actual shadow and you're you're dead. Oh. So very frustrating. Um, most puzzles can be solved just by literally looking everywhere and opening every drawer and door that you can uh, and interacting with anything that glows. Um, but other puzzles are incredibly obtuse. I've played through this game multiple times now, and there's still one puzzle I don't understand how to solve. I just go until 
the solution happens. Weird. Um, so is it kind of like trial and error? Yeah, okay. yeah. It, it tries to be like that game Password or whatever, or Passcode, but it's unclear like when it tells me which things are correct and which things are wrong, I don't understand the information that's being fed back to me. Gotcha. So there's like a formula for the feedback and it's obtuse. Yes, yeah, okay. and I don't understand it. Gotcha. I mentioned glowing objects, glowing interactables. Uh, that's something that we also see in Amnesia. Um, there's also non-glowing interactables, uh, and it's easy at first to sort of mess with everything that you can possibly interact with, uh, but the game kind of teaches you that there's very little reward for doing that. So it sort of teaches you this uh, risk-reward for your time yeah. spent working with stuff. But some important glowing items are hidden under non-glowing items, and you never know which items to actually interact with. So some things are a little too well hidden for no reason. After the game teaches you that there's very little reward for playing with that kind of stuff. Uh, there's also a lot of interaction triggers to get progression to open up in the game. Um, and there's this one specific example of an attic door that you can't reach. And so when you find the attic door, you you get sort of like a self-narration. It's like, oh, I need to find a way to get up there. And so your task becomes to find an ease for the attic. Well, the only way to get the story and the level to progress in a way for you to find this ease is for you to actually like interact with the attic. So when you receive that narration line, all you've done is enter the room where that attic is. You have to also interact with the attic door. Mm. And so on multiple playthroughs, I have forgotten that and <laughs> uh, have wasted time trying to figure out where the heck I'm supposed to go, only to find that I needed to interact with the attic door just oh, to get the story to move. That reminds me of stuff from 12 Minutes where you get, a yes. item, you get an item and a piece of story and you're like, oh, okay, now my character knows that. Oh, I actually need to pull it open in my inventory and then inspect it. That's a different action. That's a different action. And yeah. it's not clear because you get that self-narration yes. too. And it sucks. Yeah. Um, one of the worst things about this game is that your rotation speed is incredibly slow. Maybe it's different on PC. I played it on PS4. Um, but it's so slow. And that's not a setting you can adjust? I don't think so. Oh. Uh, there's monsters at certain points in the game, and you could outrun them. You're faster than the monsters in most cases. Um, but if they start charging you head on, you lose just like 2.5 seconds just trying to turn around so you can see where you're going. Uh, and that'll get you killed, especially in, in the case of one specific monster. Um, throwing objects sucks most of the time. It's just not fun to do. They have different weight, which is a nice attention to detail, but uh, is rarely worth it. Um, dying is punishing. And keep in mind, I think death has been too forgiving in a majority of video games, but not here. Like, the cost is too high. It sends you back way too far for puzzles that are uninteresting. Um, respawn points are not save points, which is an important note. So if you get to a respawn point and you're like, okay, I have to quit this play session right now, that's not where you're going to end up when you turn the game back on. No. So they're not the same thing. Oh, my gosh. Um, completing this game sucks. There are th uh, multiple endings, and while you can cheese a save file by backing up on like an external hard drive or something uh, to preserve some time, even in your most optimized completion path, you still have to play the last like four-fifths of the game at least twice. I'm trying to test whether the online guide is 
correct about all the requirements for one of the endings. Yeah. Um, cause I, I actually screwed up one of my playthroughs. So I'm playing it an extra fourth time. And so I get to oh do some testing gosh. anyway. Wow. Luckily, it seems like you can do a full playthrough in about 2.5 hours if you know where everything is. So it's a pretty short game if you remember what you need to do. And then if you've played any sort of game where you decide the fates of multiple people, uh, the endings are pretty predictable. Mm. So not a lot of payoff there either. Yeah, more like those who disdain (laughs) Disco Cola. I I hate like dumping on a game and there's like, there's a lot of care put into some of the environments and I don't want to throw shade on that. Like a lot of the outdoor environments specifically like look pretty good for a game of this caliber. So I'm really impressed with some of the like world building elements and like Mm -hmm. the actual world that you're in. Uh, the human models are terrible, but Those Who Remain is a game with a promising premise that rarely felt fun to play and was predictable from the start. Um, it takes a genre that I'm learning I only really enjoy with action elements. It took those action elements out and then slowed it down even more. Um, and I'm unhappy to report that I'm still one end- ending away from completing the game. <laughs> oh. I think this game can be interesting if you're a streamer with a big to massive fan base, but I would not play this game alone. I give those who remain a five out of 10. All right. So five probably being on the upper end of bad, uh, one of your lowest scores you've given a game and you're, you're pretty forgiving with scores. So that that's an indicator that it's one you wouldn't easily recommend to people um, just on its own. I can find a lot of qualities to forgive about it, but when it came down to writing the notes, I just, all I could remember was, man, I wanted the game to be over. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, because as I look at the trailer, I'm noticing some cool art direction. I'm noticing the two worlds, um, the choice of do you save uh, the souls or not. What I'm looking at is reminding me a lot of our featured game, um, just from some of the visual ideas. Do you think this game is inspired by games like Amnesia the Dark Descent. I didn't think so a lot at first, but I do, actually, especially when you consider that the whole point of the game is to stay in the light, too. Yeah. Um, I think there's almost a a direct influence from Amnesia specifically on this game. Okay, well, thank you for sharing about it. It's got a pretty great trailer. Oh, the trailer rules, dude. Um, you're seeing like these neon lights, you're seeing flickering, you're seeing these like little um, flash frames of some dark imagery. Uh, does that happen in the game? Do you get, did yeah. you mention that? Yeah, everything that's in the trailer happens in the game, but it's kind of that situation where like all of the cool stuff is in the trailer. Gotcha. So you saw pretty much the highlights of everything. So Those Who Remain is available on PlayStation 4. That's where I played it. Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, Windows, and classic Mac OS, whatever that means. All right. Well, we will move on to my secret game for this episode. And my secret game is a little bit more in line with the featured game than usual for me, but I think yours probably has more similarities to Amnesia, but my secret game for this episode is Rusty Lake Hotel. I like the name. 
And I just sent you that trailer. All right, I'm going to watch that here. So, uh, Rusty Lake Hotel is a 2016 point-and-click puzzle game. It was developed by Rusty Lake, and it was also published by Rusty Lake. I will read the game synopsis from the Steam storefront. Quote, Are you ready to serve the guests in the Rusty Lake Hotel? Solve all mysteries in this dark and eerie puzzle game. Rusty Lake Hotel is a point-and-click adventure by the creators of the Rusty Lake and Cube Escape series. End quote. So that is actually very descriptive, uh, although it does sound a little basic and not very creative of a description. It is descriptive. Uh, this game is set in 1893. You play an unnamed assistant at the Rusty Lake Hotel where the owner, Mr. Owl, has invited five dinner guests. So there's Mr. Deer, Mr. Boar, Miss Pheasant, Mr. Rabbit, and Mrs. Pigeon. And there's this quick cut scene at the beginning of the game. You kind of see it in the trailer uh, where they're on a boat approaching the Rusty Lake Hotel. Um, there's also Mr. Crow who runs the front desk of the hotel. And there's also a chef who's a toad. I'm not sure if he's named Mr. Toad or <laughs> I don't know if he's named. And then there's also a bellhop who's a bat. Um, the game has a hand-drawn 2D look with uh, Victorian anthropomorphic animals aesthetic. Yeah, so yeah. you might be familiar with this idea. You've probably seen it, but you've never put words to it, where there are these realistic-looking animal heads, mm -hmm. but they're human bodies, and they're wearing Victorian clothing, like 19th century clothing. Yes. Um, that's an aesthetic that is inherently very creepy. And um, I think we've all kind of seen, we just don't usually refer to. Um, so that is what's going on in this game. The goal is to assist Mr. Owl, Mr. Crow, and the chef in exploring one of the guest rooms each night, solving puzzles inside, and then acquiring meat for that evening's main course for dinner. And of course, you find out very soon that this request is very twisted and murderous <laughs> and that you must harvest that evening's meat from the guests themselves. Oh, my gosh. Who are in the room with you while you're solving all their puzzles and stuff. <laughs> so the meals are deer steak, wild boar ribs, mm. pheasant breasts, rabbit stew, and pigeon in blackberry sauce. I mean, you can't argue with the results. <laughs> <laughs> and each room has uh, a lot of furniture, uh, locked boxes, and contraptions you can interact with. And then items can be picked up and used in the environment to unlock things and find even more items. And all of the paths in these rooms lead to some convoluted method of killing the guests using the items in their room. And when they die, you receive their meat, you give it to the chef, the toad, and he makes the dinner for everyone. They eat the meal, and then the process repeats uh, four more times for all the guests. And when you make a dinner, you're graded a score out of three stars. And you get a three-star rating by finding optional ingredients in the rooms. Um, they're more hidden than the Golden Path items. And they're things like mushrooms and rosemary for the deer steak. If you find those two ingredients, you'll get the three stars. And it really just um, serves as extra completion and as achievements on Steam, if you're the kind of person who chases that stuff. Um, what I liked about Rusty Lake Hotel, it is a dark puzzle game that feels like a series of escape rooms. 
And each room has items that play with a certain idea pertaining to the guests. So Mr. Rabbit is a magician. And in his room, there are lots of cards. Um, he has a hat that his head can come out of. And he does like a little trick for you where he holds out his hat. His head, you know, disappears underneath his clothes and then it comes out of the hat. Um, and then, you know, that's just his little quirk. Um, Mr. Deer wants you to make him a drink. And then you eventually turn that drink into poison. That's how you kill Mr. Oh, Deer. Okay. So uh, all Spoilers. Well, <laughs> I didn't tell you how to make the poison. Okay. Uh, that's for you to find out. And nothing is outright scary or terrifying, but the experience is consistently morbid. Uh, there's a great commitment to the bizarre and the um, unsettling in this game. And you're making the animals eat each other. It's something you really can't look away from. Um, there's this feeling of the game that also extends to the puzzles and how you torture the guests. Uh, the poisoning of Mr. Deer, for instance. Um, Mr. Boar, you feed Mr. Boar a sandwich. His thing is he's hungry. You're supposed to make him a sandwich. And you end up feeding him a sandwich filled with his own feces. Oh, <laughs> Which is just so twisted, right? Um, Mrs. Pigeon is in a bathtub and you're supposed to electrocute her using different mechanisms to generate electricity. So each room feels different in that way as far as what methods you're using to um, get that meat in the end to make the meals. Um, the puzzles are also mostly the right difficulty. You can move through the rooms in 10 or 15 minutes or so if you're really intuitive. So I think this results in a game that's a very comfortable length. I think for most players, it'll be around um, maybe an hour and a half, two hours for Good a full length. playthrough. Yep. And um, the rooms can also be completed in any order you want. So when you uh, go up the elevator for the first time with the bellhop, you can go to floor one and go to room one and uh, see Mr. Deer there. Or you can go up to floor two and go to room number five and see Mrs. Pigeon. You can do them in whatever order. It doesn't really matter. Um, what I disliked about Rusty Lake Hotel, there isn't a lot of detail in the environments and the backgrounds are often muddy. Uh, the game kind of has this cheap feeling to it a lot of the time. And that extends into uh, the not often used voiceover, which has this low quality kind of tinny sound. Um, the game is filled with sound effects, but they feel like they're picked from a cheap library. The sounds are inorganic. Mm. They just kind of feel manufactured and not really, they kind of take me out of the game when I'm playing. And then some of the assets are used room to room. So I, I guess I just wish there was a even more identity to each room. There are props that are specific to the personalities of all the guests, but um, the wallpaper ends up kind of looking the same. Um, you see the same uh, plants used in all the rooms. And um, at first glance, they might not be so distinguishable. So I just wish there was a little bit more character there. And some solutions are also a little nonsensical. Uh, there's logic in a lot of places, but sometimes you just need to click on all the items on screen in front of you until you find the key item that pops out uh, miraculously from some random item. So some of it didn't make sense in that way as far as the puzzle solving. But overall, Rusty Lake Hotel is unsettling. It's macabre. It's a game with ambiguous intentions when played by itself, but it's a worthwhile puzzle game on its own. And be prepared to forgive a little bit of the lack of polish if you're into these sorts of grim experiences. This is a game I 
replayed for underplayed. Oh. Haven't haven't uh, obviously reviewed it for this show before, but I played this several years back and decided to revisit it because I thought it would be a good indie game to try out again. And I am still mostly positive on this game as I was a few years ago. I'm rating this a 7.5 out of 10. Heckers, yeah. And it's playable on PC, Mac, Android, and iOS. Excellent. Um, so I guess the whole time you were talking about that, uh, one of the questions I had in my mind was, all right, what's the what's the final destination kill order here? Like who goes first and who gets to see it all unfold? But you told me it doesn't matter what order. So no. that leads me to a follow-up question. What is the relevance of the plot? Like obviously these co-guests are disappearing do they notice? Do they care? What's the <laughs> is is the plot uh, sort of like a Mega Man game? Is it pretty irrelevant? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a boss rush uh, where you fight all five. You guests have to one, do all the puzzles with, in the in, same room <laughs> with one life. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. So it's like a Mega Man light. No. Um, here's the thing about the story: is it's ambiguous, and all you know is Mr. Owl has invited these five dinner guests, and is obviously like the puppeteer for all of this going on. And when I first played this several years ago, I hadn't tried any other of Rusty Lake's uh, projects or games. They actually have a lot of games out by now. And their games actually kind of have this shared universe. Ooh, Rusty okay. Lake Hotel, I believe, was the first Rusty Lake game uh, to, to carry that moniker, right? And so when I first played this, I just kind of took it at face value, which is a mostly plotless game where the dinner guests don't notice that they're disappearing. It's very apparent as far as what's going on, and yet they don't care. Now, here's the thing where this game is part of a much more expansive universe. You can explore the other Rusty Lake games like Rusty Lake Roots and Rusty Lake Paradise, which are similar games to this that I have also played. And those games might give you a little bit more context or world building to what's going on. There's also this Cube Escape series, which I have not touched, but all these games have this convoluted overarching plot. Ooh. And if you are the kind of person to nerd out about really ambiguous plots and to like make hypotheses about mysterious things, you can really get in deep with these games that on the surface look a little bit shallow, honestly. Mm -hmm. But I think for people who love those sorts of experiences, they'll they'll find a lot of depth with the story, with the kinds of conclusions they can draw based on a clue they find in one game that references another game. There's a lot of that in cool, Rusty Lake's games. Cool. So I, I commend them um, outside this game. I just commend this developer for going all those extra miles with making this world. and. Here's another thing that's interesting. Um, I was doing a little bit of research on the Rusty Lake folks. I was looking at videos on YouTube and I stumbled across Rusty Lake's YouTube account. I found a short film called Paradox, a Rusty Lake film. This Ooh. is an official live action- Live action? Short film that they made that I believe stars the character you play as in Rusty Lake Hotel. Oh. 
And there are connections to the games in this short film. And I think there's information that's even not explained in some of the games too. So uh, there is another meta media approach that they're trying with this. And it's uh, very interesting. I don't see a lot of other indie developers trying that kind of thing. Wow. And I watched the short film. It was like 18 minutes. Um, basically, a man wakes up in a room. It's not necessarily a hotel room. It's more like an escape room, if you've been to one of those. And he's just finds all these clues, all these keys and locked things. And he like works his way out and he sees weird visions of things um, that use iconography that's from the games. And uh, I found it to be very interesting and um, very ambitious. So, Hickers, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I've played Rusty Like Roots and Rusty Like Paradise. I don't know if I'll pick those anytime soon for secret games just to give other developers and other kinds of games a chance. Um, but I wanted to give at least one of their games attention for one of our episodes. And yeah. here I'm doing it. I'm doing wow. it on on an episode where we're featuring a horror game, yeah. right? So it just kind of made sense for this episode. Yeah, just watching that trailer, I was thinking, I, I made, you know, I made a comment in my head about Wes Anderson and how, yeah. you know, and then you, you go on to say that there's all those like, you know, extra parallels in other games. And mm -hmm. I, I would, you know, probably just on the surface recommend this to like film fans who play video games but are looking for something different I don't know. It seems like a good fit for them. Would you agree with that? Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. There is a wiki for this game. I was browsing that briefly. I got so confused. Um, <laughs> there is a timeline that stretches hundreds of years that talks about all these events in all the games. Oh, my gosh. That's fascinating just at a uh, concept level for me. I'm not going to dive in anytime soon and learn about this world because that's just not my thing. But I still had enjoyment with this puzzle game again, and I had forgotten all the solutions and stuff. I recognized the rooms and the characters. I just, I it was kind of like playing yeah, again for the fresh. first time yeah. because um, I played it maybe in 2017 or 2018. So it's been a good number of years. Um, yeah. So those are our secret games. Those who remain and Rusty Lake Hotel. Let's move on to our review of Amnesia, The Dark Descent. It is our featured game. Amnesia The Dark Descent is a 2010 survival horror game. It was later ported to consoles in 2016 and 2018. It was developed and published by Frictional Games. I'm going to read the game synopsis from the Steam storefront. Quote, Amnesia The Dark Descent, a first-person survival horror. A game about immersion, discovery, and living through a nightmare. An experience that will chill you to the core. End quote. Uh, so that one has a lot of atmosphere to the description. Yeah. But I feel like it doesn't reveal much. It doesn't talk about uh, the setting. Uh, it's it's pretty bland, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's set it up a little bit more. In this game, you've got a first-person perspective. Uh, you're playing as this man named Daniel in 1839. And Daniel wakes up in this Prussian castle called Castle Brennenberg. And he doesn't remember anything about himself. Uh, he soon walks around and finds a note to himself, which describes that he's being hunted by a shadow. 
and he is told that he must gain access to the inner sanctum of the castle and kill its baron, Alexander. So you don't know why he wants to kill Alexander. He doesn't know himself. He doesn't remember anything about his past. But through these notes, he soon discovers that he had found an orb in an Algerian archaeological dig, which released the shadow. And he later came in contact with Alexander and hung out with him, did some stuff with him. <laughs> We're not going to reveal what that stuff entailed. Played cards. <laughs> yeah. Did podcasts about indie games together. <laughs> and Alexander, um, I will say though, Alexander promised that there was a way to help Daniel dispel the curse. That's how they kind of got together, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Daniel then, his job is just kind of to walk around this castle uh, through various environments, uh, finding notes and key items that will uncover more of his past and allow him to progress further down. A lot of progress depends on concocting recipes, opening doors, fixing broken machines. Um, you get a lantern early on that allows Daniel to see in the dark, and Daniel can pick up oil to fill the lantern. And what's interesting about that is the oil depletes over time. Oil is actually a finite resource mm -hmm. in Amnesia, the Dark mm -hmm. Descent. Um, so you can conceivably run out of oil and not be able to traverse through the darkness very easily. Uh, Daniel can also pick up and throw items to break certain walls or cause distractions. Um, Daniel has a health bar. And what might have been pretty innovative at the time, an insanity meter. Uh, when this game came out in 2010, I don't know that a lot of games had insanity meters. Yeah, not really something we quantify very easily. Uh, and then... Uh, how does the ins insanity meter work? Well, when Daniel is in the darkness for too long, or if he witnesses stressful events, he loses his sanity. And this actually has mostly visual effects on the gameplay and can uh, slow Daniel down sometimes. Um, I noticed that when sanity was lost, uh, his vision might become impaired. Things might turn blurry. Daniel would slow down. You'd sometimes see hallucinations uh, like Bugs would crawl across the screen mm. that weren't actually there. And in certain sections, the shadow that's hunting Daniel will manifest into monsters that chase him. This is where the game can turn into a run and hide simulator. Uh, but notably, you can't fight in this game. You can't fight back against the shadow that's chasing you. Uh, there are no weapons. There isn't even hand-to-hand -hand combat. So Daniel can just run and hide. That's all he can do uh, if he faces these monsters. Um, another thing he can do, though, is he can find tinderboxes to light torches in the environment uh, to help preserve his sanity. Um, anytime you see light, it's generally a safe spot uh, in Amnesia. So that is the setup for Amnesia The Dark Descent. It, again, released in 2010. It's been out over a decade and it is now a franchise. There were several sequels and quasi-sequels. Uh, there was a short experience called Justine, uh, Amnesia Justine. Uh, there was a machine for pigs that we got uh, several years after uh, The Dark Descent. And then there is Amnesia Rebirth, which is more recent. Uh, have you played any of these games? Do you know anything about I, these? No, I don't know anything about these. And when we picked Amnesia The Dark Descent, uh, all, all last season and leading up to our party, uh, I was thinking of the game Outlast the whole time. 
So that's what I thought we were going to play. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Outlast, lot in common with this where you're defenseless and you can't fight back against crazy people chasing you. Yeah. And you're looking for batteries for your camera, right? To, yeah. to see in the dark um, through the, uh, what is it? Not infrared. Um, night. Night vision. Night vision. Yeah, yeah, through night vision. So this game probably influenced games like Outlast. Yeah. Maybe even those who remain. Yeah. Um, this is our oldest featured game up to this point. Oh, I true. Believe. Yeah. Um, we might end up playing older ones from like 2007, 2008. We just haven't gotten there yet. Um, so this game has had a lot of time to build up a legacy over the years and maybe even form impressions in our minds. And I was curious if... Over the years, you've developed an impression of Amnesia based off of trailers, impressions from other people, screenshots, anything like that. Have you have you had an expectation about Amnesia through the years? Uh, I guess I kind of knew a little bit about what I could expect based on the other person in our life that really loves this game. Um, I sort of just had an idea of what it might offer in terms of like, story or world building or intrigue um but beyond that you know like i said i i thought it was a totally different game so uh okay gotcha so i would say not a strong impression on me uh, it sounds like you always assumed it was like a mysterious game yeah with um you know a story at the surface but then more to uncover yeah um there is something grim going on behind yeah. the scenes and maybe. definitely like dark and probably damp as far as <laughs> very, like yeah, a very, setting. Very wet, <laughs> wet things. That's everywhere. what I expected. Yeah. Um, for me, I think I always thought this game was full of danger all the way through, that you were always in danger, that you could always be attacked. And that's not necessarily the case in Amnesia. I would say that areas in the game are either like a hub area that serve as a connection point between different sub areas or you know, just generally safe or they are low risk, maybe with like a few dangers or they're very high risk where they're always going to have a lot to evade and hide from mm -hmm. going on. And it's kind of scripted in that way. Once you play through this game, you know what the dangerous bits are. Then before we get to our impressions, just uh, another thing I want to touch on is I just want to Describe our experience playing the game together. If you had any um, observations about playing this game with other people and, uh, you know, just being in the presence of others. Um, I would say that generally I think all of the things that were meant to be unsettling were unsettling for everybody, which isn't always the case with, like, people who enjoy horror things at different levels. But one of the more interesting things I would say is that people are good at playing different kinds of games and approach this game very differently. Mm. So some people uh, that we played with are really terrible at jumping, which is not <laughs> something that you can do in most games like this anyway. Yeah. Um, but that slowed some people down, whereas other people it didn't. Some people uh, took the monsters a lot more seriously uh, and other people like myself just sort of ran for it ran most around. of the time. Yeah, you can't catch me. Yeah. Yeah. Um and and you know, both yielded good results at different times. Yeah. Um some people are more intuitive with the puzzles. Yes. Um and some of the puzzles are a little mysterious, a yeah. uh, little obtuse. 
uh, so it was interesting seeing that intersection of everybody. I will say um, the game, I think, was effectively scary, even in a room full of people with the lights on. There were times where we would turn around, whoever was playing uh, rotated their character, and there was a grunt chasing us, yeah. and people yelped. And that was hilarious. You know, I love that. I <laughs> love it when that happens. A couple people peed a little bit, you know, um, together. And we did it together. So that we was fun. <laughs> um, so I was actually kind of surprised at that. So then I think it's pretty safe to assume we each needed to play this a little bit on our own time. I think you got to play it before our party. Yeah. Um, for about four hours or yeah, so. Yeah. I, I was concerned I wouldn't make it to the first half of the party. So I went through the first half of the game on my own. That's a, a good idea. And then did you touch it again after the party? I did not. Okay. So what I ended up doing is I got all the trophies on PlayStation associated with Amnesia the Dark Descent, which required me to do a playthrough where I played through the whole game collecting everything. So I got to experience every room again, every section again, and being at the party allowed me to go through a lot of the experience really quickly because I knew what to do in a lot of sections. So um, with all that said... I am now curious, Disco Cola, what are your thoughts on this game? Well, my general thoughts on Amnesia. Uh, like those who remain, this isn't the kind of game I'm bound to really love unless there are some action or collection elements to the game. There's a little bit of collection here, but it's there's not like a tracker or anything to that. Um, so it, it becomes a little bit irrelevant as far as a collection mechanic. Um, and when I say games like this that include action, most of the time... I'm probably referring to like Bioshock. I think Bioshock is a lot like these games, but has a lot of action and combat. So when I say things like the adding action to these kinds of games, that's what I'm talking about. Despite being generally less attractive to look at and generally a less interesting story, in my opinion, I think Amnesia is still constructed overall much better than those who remain. Um, the tinderbox and insanity mechanic Add something that allows the game to be a bit more like engaging. Both functions are a little bit annoying, though. Um, with tinderboxes, they can be a bit too well hidden, and it's hard to gauge how precious they are, uh, which is a good thing and a bad thing for survival horror. Um, but but some parts of the game tend to have them more plentiful, uh, but they're more plentiful at inconsistent times. Um, the insanity meter was hard for me to figure out. Um, all mm. of the different text descriptions for insanity uh, levels were pretty straightforward. Um, but there are times when I get back to like a natural light source and my blurry vision would clear and my insanity description might be the same. Other times my sanity description will be better. Um, also, can you? I'd never got far enough to find out if I could die from insanity. It sounds like you mentioned that monsters could manifest if you let it get bad enough. Here's the farthest I got with Insanity. I was in um, my playthrough where I was collecting all the tinderboxes, you know, the collection playthrough. And to help keep track of how many I had, I decided to only use the lantern and oil in the game Ooh. because I didn't want to light any torches and then lose count and keep the number tracked on my phone and go back and forth. I didn't want to do all that. So I thought, oh, maybe I can try to use just the lantern. And that made some sections challenging. 
which made my insanity go down. And I got to the point where Daniel would be like drunk almost uh-huh. because of how blurry his vision was. He slowed down. His walking speed was slower uh, and in some cases was being you know hunted by the grunts. Um, and then also at one point, he like went down to the ground and was crawling at a snail's pace. Did you have that happen? No. Uh-uh. Um, I didn't get to the point where I died uh, because when that happened, I pulled out my lantern, which helped calm his nerves a bit. And then I was able to progress, but I didn't, I didn't test out whether I died from insanity. Okay. Um, I never got to that point where I had to reload. Yeah. yeah. So I'm still confused about some things uh, as far as like how the insanity meter actually works in yeah. practice. I, I'm curious if it is just a gimmick. Yeah. You know, if it does affect gameplay, if oh, it gets yeah. far enough. Sure. But is it just a gimmick that doesn't actually add that much challenge? If, I don't know. If you were a speedrunner and you were doing like a a insanity challenge, could you still complete the game right. without lighting anything? Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, compared to those who remain, dying is a lot more reasonable in this game. It doesn't happen often, but you can die. Uh, a lot of puzzles are still pretty obtuse. Um, most pickup items have a glow to them. Uh, but things in the environment that you're meant to interact with aren't always clear. So you kind of have to get up close to everything and see if your little pickup icon yeah. triggers. Um, don't like that so much. Um, while I still contend this game is better constructed than those who remain, you can still get this game to malfunction in some pretty fascinating ways. Um, on more than one occasion, we got enemies to uh, despawn, uh, or in one case, get stuck in a zone where no object is actually supposed to be, so it can't reach you. Each time this sort of thing happened, there was no like explicit action that we took to cause those malfunctions. It just just kind of jank a little bit. Yeah. Can I add something on the monsters despawning? Yeah. I looked it up and I followed a guide to find all the tinderboxes because there's like 150 of them. I'm not going to go hunting for all of them myself. The video I saw claimed that monsters, for the most part in the game, always despawn on death. Nearly every encounter, you can despawn enemies by dying. There might be like exceptions, like the invisible enemies. Um, There is a section called the choir main hall. Those enemies don't despawn. That's one of the scariest areas in the game for me. Um, Those don't despawn. But vast majority, I think, despawn when you die. That's kind of dumb. But, oh, I'll take it. You know, I'll take some... uh some easier playthroughs after death. Why not? Um, Yeah, I feel like I should have more to say, but beyond everything that I mentioned, uh, the game doesn't really offer too much more, at least in my opinion. There's a decent amount of extra lore and world building and journal pages found throughout the castle if you're interested in learning more, but beyond learning the reason and cause of our amnesia, I didn't really find the story to be particularly interesting, Mm. not to me anyways. Um... You can jump in this game, which I mentioned earlier. That's pretty cool. You don't get to do that in a lot of these kinds of games. Um, but that kind of that kind of sums it up for me. This one for me is somewhere between Those Who Remain and Outlast. Um, I still don't think it's the most fun game to play, uh, but the stakes don't quite get to a point where I'm invested in anything. Um, so I give Amnesia a 6 out of 10 for me. Okay, wow. Um, well, I will move on to my overall thoughts. 
I was actually surprised by how much I loved this game. I naturally love these first-person narrative experiences, so this was a good fit for me. Um, I like Bioshock a lot. It's one of my favorite games. Um, I liked when we played Outlast. That was super fun. Um, so I, I feel like I'm up for this kind of experience anytime, so I might be a little biased in that way. But um, I think this takes the creepy atmosphere from games like Bioshock, but tones down the action in favor of being vulnerable, which makes you pay attention to certain things and um, heightens the intensity in some ways. Um, the size of the environments are perfect for me. You're not stuck in the same looking place too long, even though you're in a castle. They There's a good variety. Uh, and this is helped by the fact that there aren't many kinds of collectibles there are a lot of tinder boxes, but there aren't 10 different categories mm -hmm. of collectibles. Um, it's easy to tell what's important so you can focus on progressing. I think the idea of the sanity meter is really cool at a certain point because it mirrors our own stress about what's happening in a lot of ways. I also think it's mysterious and vague, which is a criticism. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little torn on the sanity meter. Um, but this game commodifies the darkness. It turns the darkness into an enemy. I think one of the main developers actually said like one of the main enemies of this game is the dark, which is a fascinating philosophy to have for your horror game. Um, this might be the literal darkest game I've played. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like because the goal is to make sure you don't lose sanity while you're completing these tasks and finding out about your past by staying in the light. You have to light these torches and keep your lantern full of oil. Um, so the game has to be dark to offset that. The game also has these sections that are divided, I think, really cleanly. I think this game unofficially has these acts. I think there are four distinguishable acts in this game that help with the pacing to the point where you can easily identify where someone is in their playthrough too. Mm -hmm. In each act, you're, you're trying to do something big and there are little tasks that service that but each section feels different uh the mysteries of daniel and alexander i thought led to some nice surprises the game is grimmer than i expected um i was surprised by how much you look at gory things mm -hmm. and how much you look at naked dead things yeah too. A lot of that. Uh, not so spoiled too much. Um, the game, I think, has really effective sound design that holds up. Um, this is a, a stark contrast for me from Rusty Lake Hotel, but uh, Daniel's breathing, I think, sounds authentic. There are distant noises everywhere. Uh, the grunts that chase you, they have this growling that, that announce themselves. It gets a little repetitive, but you can tell kind of where they are or how close they are because of those growls. Even the lantern, when you pull the lantern out, it has this like sound. I can't mm -hmm. recreate it with my voice, but that's an iconic sound effect for me. I think this game would be a great game to play with headphones. And I unfortunately didn't get to try that, but it might be more atmospheric that way. Uh, the art direction too, I think is good. Again, that helps to differentiate all of the areas of the game, but there are great little details, great props in all of the sections to give them their own identities. What I didn't click with with Amnesia, um, quite a few things, honestly. The monsters despawning on death, 
at nearly every encounter. That feels unintentional. It feels like this glaring glitch that they just didn't fix. Especially after porting it, too. I know. Um, So that tells me that it must be intentional. And I just don't know if I agree with that philosophy for a game that is supposed to scare you. And then when you take that away so easily, um, it feels like I'm not allowed to be challenged as much. Mm. And I want to be challenged more by this game, I think. All these years, I've built up this expectation that amnesia would be scary and haunting and um, stressful, and it takes that some of those qualities away, and that's unfortunate. Um, grabbing items with a controller, if you're playing on a console, can be really finicky too. This is how we played the game. We played it on PlayStation, and you're at some point just massaging the stick in various directions until you get the hand icon to show up. That is rough. Also, the monster variety for me just isn't there. I can think of three different kinds of monsters and two of them are almost indistinguishable from each other. You eventually get introduced to these guys called brutes and those just feel like the grunts that you've been running away from for the first half of the game. So I wish there was more variety there. I think in sequels, they started adding more um, character designs and monster designs, but it's just not in The Dark Descent, unfortunately. And then there are stretches of the game where I just feel like you don't get a lot more to the story. For me, a lot of the story comes at the start and the end, and there's a big gap in the middle where not a lot is happening. Um But to build out the world, you do find these notes, you find these diaries, and you're reading those, and that's a good way to get like really into the weeds on some of the background. Uh, But unfortunately, the presentation of those diaries and notes, I think, is flawed. The text on screen can sometimes show up in white text over like a white page Mm -hmm. in the background. Mm -hmm. And I actually had a hard time reading the text of this game. And it's not always read out loud to you in voiceover. So uh, needs more contrast there. I wish I could customize that somehow or expand the text, something to let me read that um, and not strain my eyes. I also think there are way too many tinder boxes and not enough oil. I wish that was a little bit more balanced. Uh, The insanity meter is vague. We mentioned that already. And then um, you find these key items that let you progress through the game. Sometimes you need to go into your inventory and combine uh, two or more key items together to make a new item. That was always mysterious and not something that I intuitively thought to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I thought that was a little hidden as well. So those were my dislikes with Amnesia, kind of a variety of things. But overall, I think Amnesia's high points and the positives far outweigh the dislikes. And this is a very positive experience for me. Um, I think it would be superior on a PC with a mouse. Um, It has creepy atmosphere no matter where you play it i think it has a good variety of locations in this castle and there's a lot to uncover uh with the story and the lore if you want to dive deep it's more forgiving than i thought it would be but it is a great earlier entry into the survival horror genre for me so i'm going to give this an 8.5 oh heckers it's probably higher than you expected me to give Amnesia. Yeah, a little bit. Um, So, yeah, I came away actually surprised with how much I loved it. Cool. Well, Um, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And (laughs) I know that six, I know you have a lot of dislikes, and I know that six is not your highest score, but I also know that it's not a terribly low score. So, uh, Uh, as as we have heard in this episode alone. Yes. Um, So, 
I guess I just wanted to talk about maybe some of the areas of the game. What what left an indelible mark on you as you were going through Amnesia? The very first like zone, the very first act, like as far as a level to traverse, I found pretty uninteresting. The entryway, or yeah, whatever it's the called. entryway, yeah. and and until we get to that like area with the stairs and the like four different doorways you can take where you need to yeah. build the the acid, right. I guess. Yes. That was the first example of like an interesting stage for me. Yeah, that's where you're going to like the wine cellar, the laboratory, the refinery. And yeah, you need yeah. you need to create acid to get past this kind of like fleshy wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's part of the shadow, yeah. uh, shadow's effects on the castle too. Um, but my favorite zone was actually, it's, it's just after we meet um, a, a certain character and uh, we, we start exploring and collecting pieces of an orb um, and we learn a little bit more about Daniel and who he was before we lost our memories. Yeah, that's where I was really attached to all of the VO, all of the notes I was picking up. That is that part of the end game that I was referencing where I think the story comes back alive. It like roars back to life oh, again yeah. after a pretty long, like several hours long stretch where I just feel like the story doesn't do much. Mm -hmm. And it's more about the exploration and more yeah. about the gameplay, which are also important. I think some of the puzzles in that area were a little bit, I, we would, I wouldn't have figured them out without... Um, our companion who had had played most of the game and had the guide ready yeah. for us. So. And the, the game gets more complicated as yeah. it goes on. Um, things become less linear. Um, you actually need to revisit a couple areas, um, which I guess would also be a light criticism for me. I don't like when games do that. I just like going to the place and then never going there again because I want to go on to the next place. <laughs> and that idea didn't exist in the first half of the game. Yeah. Um, so it felt maybe a cheap way to reuse environments to uh, pad out the game. Yeah. Uh, it felt like that was kind of going on. There Almost were... like they ran out of ideas for environments. Yeah. And, and just like some of the objects that you have to even interact with to solve the puzzles – I didn't understand that they were interactable yeah. objects. Another example of like you have to kind of bump Daniel up against everything and make sure you can find your icon that can yeah. actually interact with something. I wish that icon showed up sooner. I wish the just radius of that yeah. um, interaction was larger. So yeah, you have act one that you mentioned where you're making the pot of acid. You have act two, and these are unofficial acts. I'm kind of splitting it up myself, but when you get to the next hub area, um, that's the back hall. That's when you're trying to make the elevator work mm -hmm. and you're going into the machine room and um, there's like a couple of really small rooms. And this was surprising to me that they had these rooms that were smaller, like the study and the guest room. I loved those because they were an unexpected size. They were over in just a few minutes, um, but also you get surprised in one of them. You think you're safe and then you're not in mm -hmm. one of them. Um, and then they just look different than any other part of the castle. And then you go to the prison block, uh, which is kind of the end of act two, but the prison block is the first kind of twisty area, especially the North prison block. Uh, for me. Oh yeah. 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 For me, I ended up heavily relying on a map for that area when I was doing my cleanup run. It's a twisty, very dark area. 
It's confusing. Everything looks the same yep. in the North Prison Block. And I think that's by design to help add to the stress factor. So I don't knock it too much, but man, that place is unlike other areas for yeah. sure. But as far as areas I like the most, man, I think I like that opening section when you're first getting accustomed, kind of like you. Um, I also think I like what I would have unofficially call act four, which is when you're in those areas that do repeat, but you're in the nave and the chancel and the transepts and uh, even to the end of the game. There's also act three where you're crafting the poison antidote. And uh, that's when you're in the sewer and the morgue and the uh, cistern as mm. well. Yeah, I didn't care about that one as yeah. much. So I would say like that middle two acts, not my favorite parts of the game, but it's bookended really well. I do. Me. I remember that a lot of the people at the party really loved when we were in the prison like the very first part of being in the prison. The first part. Yeah. So that yeah, there's like a first prison section. Yeah. It's not so bad. Do you recall what they liked about it? Uh I think what I recall is that people enjoyed what you have to find to escape this prison section essentially. I didn't necessarily agree. I I thought that some of the solutions there were a little um ambiguous, unobvious. Yeah. Um, but I remember other people at the party like really enjoying what we had to do to get out of there. Yeah. In the whole prison section, I remember you have to find some tools, break a lock. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think without that knowledge from our friend and without people just being willing to guess and check and just run through, um, I would have been really hesitant if I were the player during that section on the first playthrough. And I probably would have taken a lot longer yeah. to do that stuff yeah. for like, most confusing and twisty area, that's the North Prison Block for me. Most dangerous area for me is the Choir Main Hall. Okay. Do you know which one that is? I think so. It's the one with like a lot of red, and it's late in the game. And what's interesting about this is during the party, I completely looked away during this section <laughs> for the entirety of it. So when I got to this in my cleanup run, I was like, what is this place? I don't remember this place. And it ended up being one of the scariest places because you don't you don't have a very far line of sight. It's uh, very dangerous, lots of enemies in it, and you need, you need to collect a lot of things in it. And there are lots of tinder boxes in it, you know. Mm, so mm -hmm. a lot of careful navigation. Um, but something that was pretty forgiving with the game is if you're doing the tinder box run and you collect a tinder box, I found that if I died, it saved my tinder box. Oh, that's nice. So. If you're going for the achievements later, you can rest easy on that front. That's good. Yeah. Very nice to know. I'm curious if you think uh, there are ways that amnesia is dated since it is over a decade old. <laughs> In what ways has amnesia shown its age? What hasn't been carried forward uh, so well? Uh, mostly, I would say visually, it has aged uh, pretty significantly. I remember very early on when I was still sort of in like a screw around sort of a mood. I tried to grab a broom from the cabinet and this was right next to a furnace. But this broom <laughs> is like, the bristles are made of wood, the broom is wood, and you're sticking it into this oven that is also just a block. 
Like yes. visually, everything's aged pretty pretty poorly. The human models are surprisingly detailed. Yeah, even in places where I wish they weren't <laughs> uh, as detailed. So I'll give I'll give it that credit. But yeah, especially visually, I would say. Yeah, uh, I would say visually um, in the menu uh, oh, UI. True. Yeah, that the menu UI is noticeable. Um, the display of text on those notes and diary entries that looks really dated for me. Yeah, I I had the same problem. Plus, I'm still playing on that really small display anyway, mm-hmm. and so I I at some point I just gave up on reading some of those things uh, yeah. until the party. Yeah, I I agree with you on the um, broom in the oven. Like that's an idea. <laughs> it's sitting right there. It's an idea. Lots of people. It's might a light try. source too. Like if yeah. you light your broom on fire, right? That's at least a, you're not spending oil. You're spending your broom, but yes. um, it's one of those things where you expect it in games like today, and even when it happens in games like today, I go. Wow, they did it. Nice. You know, they thought of that. Yeah. You know, so it's still kind of surprising when it happens, yeah. to be fair. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if I complain about the visuals too much, other than some of the presentation of the menus and mm-hmm. stuff, you know. So it could use a little bit of polishing. If yeah. they ever remastered it or remade it, even, um, they could present a lot of the lore. And a lot of the items in your inventory, maybe a little bit more cleanly, maybe explain what's going on with the insanity meter a little bit more clearly too. Yeah. There's also a little bit of jank, I would say. Like uh, our friend Alma took the controller at one point and we were dropping stuff in acid and she dropped like a cup in acid and then another one. And then like all of a sudden, just like pieces were popping out. <laughs> yes. But we like had walked away and had forgotten <laughs> at it, about like, it what, at that point. Why is that happening? It's just like those yeah. objects are very obviously just like still sitting there yes. like they didn't despawn or dissolve yes. there, there's a lot of clipping yeah um that can happen with objects in the environments um and i had that happen unintentionally on my replay in several places um there is also some jank i think with some enemies right with how they detect you that's kind of a mysterious process that you learn through trial and error but really it comes down to can you see them if you're looking at a wall like you're in timeout, they probably won't <laughs> see you um, unless you're directly in their line of sight. But if you're in their peripheral and you're just kind of hiding in a corner, you're probably good. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that is mysterious. Sometimes you feel like you get away with murder <laughs> in that way. <laughs> and other times you feel like you're caught um, for no reason. So that can be a little weird. Um, there is a section of the game that I just remembered, and it's where you're running from an invisible enemy. There are a couple of these sections. That was the scariest part of the game for me. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And um, someone at the party who wasn't us was playing this and they were just getting frustrated. At, and it's early in the game when you first um, exit act one and you're on your way to act two, kind of. This is like the trial to get to the next hub area. Yeah. And I would uh, take another section like that somewhere in the game, maybe. I um, agree. I think the game makes it clear what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to throw items to distract the thing in the water and you can't see the thing in the water, which makes it fun. You see the splashes Uh and that's a really cool communication of where it is. Um, So that's where I wish there was just a little bit more variety with the enemies. Um, There's the invisible person, there's the brute, and then there's the grunt. And that's, that's that's all I can think of, you know? So, um, but Maybe we'll each play the Amnesia games that came after this and we'll discover some other things. We'll see, though. 
Um, did you have any other miscellaneous thoughts about Amnesia the Dark Descent? No, not specifically. Yeah, I'm glad that we crossed such a legend off our list for sure. <laughs> for sure, yeah. It I loved crossing this one off. It has been on my pile of shame for years. And yeah, look forward to playing games that are this old at some point, maybe even <laughs> older too. Yeah. Um, so that we've got a couple on the list. We do. Yeah, we do on our approved list. So coming up in maybe next season. Well, that'll do for our review of Amnesia, The Dark Descent. You can play it on PC, Mac, Linux, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Android. Disco Cola rated it a 6. I rated it an 8.5. That's the end of this episode of Underplayed. You can find more of our episodes at kzum.org underplayed and on common podcast services like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our music was composed by Jack Rodenberg. Our art comes from Oni Mochi. Underplayed is on Twitter at UnderplayedPod. You can find me on Twitter at Bopo. That's B-O underscore P-O. And check out that same handle on the GG app where you can see my game lists like, uh, hey, I keep a list for every game I beat in each year from now on. So if you want to see like all the games I've beaten cumulatively up to this point in the year, check that out on the GG app. All right. And I am at Disco Cola, still on Twitter. And uh, streaming again some nights. I'm back, baby. I didn't stream this, <laughs> but I am back. Next time, we will have two more secret games to review, and our featured game will be Slay the Spire. Whoa! A deck-building roguelike developed by Megacrit. Until then, everyone, keep on playing. <laughs>